henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Our study is in the Gospel of John, who wrote this Gospel to reveal the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the unchanging word continues in John chapter 15 at verse 8. While this chapter 15 is part of the Upper Room Discourse of the Lord Jesus, written in John chapters 13 through 17, and in these chapters Jesus is speaking to his 11 remaining disciples, and in verses 8 through 15, Jesus speaks of his love, his joy, his friendship. And Jesus also speaks of the greatest love of laying down one's life for his friends, which is just what he himself has done for us, shedding his own blood on the cross and then being raised to life again. Dr. Mitchell speaks of uh, three C's found in verses 15 through 17. He will also show us the distinctions between being servants of Christ as compared to being friends of Jesus. Well, turn with us in your Bible to John chapter 15, verse 8, with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We continue our studies in the Gospel through John. And for those who are listening in for the first time, we're in chapter 15 of John. We've been dealing with fruit-bearing. The Lord expects us to bear fruit. That is, He expects the branch to bear fruit. He produces the fruit by the Spirit of God in the believer. And as we are obedient to him, as we abide in him, as we walk in fellowship with him, and the fruit is evident. And this is what God wants. As we said in other lessons in chapters 13 and 14, our Lord has been declaring to his disciples what he has done for them and what he is doing for them. But now here we have a question of our relationship in service, in fellowship with him and with each other. 
especially in these verses which we're discussing in our last lesson, verses 9 to 14. We were dealing with the encouragement in verse 7 uh, that we can come to the very throne of grace uh, and make our requests, and he not only hears us, but he answers us. And then 9 to 14, he's been dealing especially with three wonderful things. We're talking about his love, his joy, his commandments, and our relationship to them. You see, you have, first of all, his, his love. You take in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Uh, in, verse, in verse 10, As I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Uh, in, verse, in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he did. He laid down his life for us. So you have his love, that divine love for his people. And this divine love for his people was manifested in sacrifice. I still repeat this, that God still loves people. And he manifested that love for you by laying down his life for you. He died that you might not die. He died that you might live. This is his love for men and women. And especially now in this passage, he's dealing with his love for his people. As we had in chapter 13, the first verse, he loved us right clean through to the end. All the way through, we've been having his love for us. All the way through, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, just filled with a divine love for his people. Demonstrating that love in sacrifice. And we manifest our love for him by obedience to his commandment, which you have in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. In verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 14, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Our responsibility is obedience. And this brings full joy. His love ever constant, ever precious, ever eternal for his people. Never changes, our frailty never affects his love. And then we have his word. God expects us, wants us to be obedient to his word. And you get those two things. In between you have what? Full joy. Full joy. His joy. You have in verse 11, these things right I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So I see you have these three amazing things. And by the way, may I say, God's very desirous that his people be full of joy. Even though we may have the tests of life like everybody else, and we have our afflictions, and we have our sufferings, and we have our misunderstandings, and our disappointments in life, and we have our sorrows. No question about this. We have all these things. But underneath, there is a peace, there's a rest, there's a joy. We know that the Lord will never test us beyond that we are able. We know that the Lord is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and is praying for us. We know that eventually all these tests and trials in our lives is for the purification of our faith to, and to bring us into a closer walk with the Lord and it's going to bring eternal glory to Him. This is what you have in this passage. He wants your joy to be full. You find that in the epistle of John. These things write I unto you that your joy may be full. Now, full joy depends upon full fellowship. 
If I were teaching the Epistle of John, point that out in the first chapter. Full joy depends upon full fellowship. To me, the astounding thing is that we can have real fellowship with God himself. Oh, but Mr. Mitchell, you don't know me. No, I don't know you, but God knows you. And if you've put your trust in the Savior, even if today you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you not only have access to the presence of God, but you become the personal, intimate object of God's love, of his devotion, of his compassion, of his power. Just think of it. Just think of it. No wonder Jesus says, my joy I give unto you, that your joy might be full. Not only divine love, but divine joy. Or, if you want to follow it through, when you and I accepted the Savior, there was imparted to us divine life. In the epistle of John chapter 3, an imparted love. And here we have an imparted joy. Friend, God loves you. Otherwise, why would he give you his life, his love, his joy, his peace, his righteousness? It's what God does, just because he loves you. Just because he loves you. Wouldn't you love a Savior like that? Unsaved man, woman, I don't care whether you're in your home or your car or wherever you are. Wouldn't you want a Savior like that? One who not only cleanses you and forgives you of your sins and delivers you from an eternal death, fits you for eternal glory, wonderful. But he gives you his life. He gives you his love. He gives you his joy. He gives you his peace. He gives you his hope. What more do you need? In fact, God is not going to be satisfied with any Christian until they stand in his presence conformed to the image of his Son. I tell you what a Savior we have. The world knows nothing about this. Religionists know nothing about this. It's for the heart that is willing to bow and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. No wonder in chapter 40 now our Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No wonder in chapter nine, 10 he could say in verse 9, I am the door, by me if any man enter in he shall be saved. No wonder Peter could cry out, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No wonder Paul could write, this is a faithful saying unworthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And may I close with that one? In this one thought, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ah, friend, ah, friend. His love, his life, his joy, his peace, his rest, his righteousness. All that he is, is for you. All that he is, is for you. The amazing thing is that we Christians don't appreciate it. I just used to stop and think for a moment. How much do we appreciate such love, such grace, such joy, such peace, such provision? We get so occupied with the passing temporal things of life. We get so occupied with, uh, with a materialistic philosophy 
or a humanistic philosophy. Or we, we live just day by day for ourselves with very little thought about him. How it must grieve the heart of the Savior. Now, don't excuse yourself. Don't rationalize your unbelief or your coldness of heart or your indifference to your Savior. Why not let's be real about it and come in the presence of the Lord and just let him talk to our hearts. The door's open. Come with boldness to the throne of grace and there obtain mercy. Do you need mercy? Do you need grace? Do you need mercy? Come to the throne of grace with boldness. He's there with his arms outstretched, waiting to receive you, waiting to bless you, waiting to meet your need. He knows all about you. Again, I say he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's able to succor those that are tested, and he wants your joy to be filled full. How many, how many Christians today have never experienced full joy? So many are troubled. So many are full of doubts. So many are discouraged, disheartened. Uh, circumstances, people, relationships, so on, have come into your life, and it's blurred your vision of the Savior. And for some reason or other, you've missed something of this life in Christ where his love, his joy, his peace will flood your hearts. Now, the Lord's desire is that you should have this, but see, see, it must come from renewed fellowship with the Savior. You see, sin breaks that fellowship. Sin breaks that communion. Well, what shall I do, you say? Well, confess your sins. Come on, boldly to the throne of grace. Confess your sins. And he's promised to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He wants you to enjoy his peace. He wants you to be filled with his joy. That's what you've got in these verses, between verse, verse 8 down to verse 14. I'll repeat them again. His love, his joy, his commandments. And love for him demands our love for each other. See, he keeps his love for us before us all the time. Don't remember, I love you, I love you, I love you. I say, that's wonderful, Lord. Then love your brother. But he's ornery. We don't get along. We don't agree on doctrine. So what? Now, I'm a stickler for doctrine, but sometimes I think we allow it to rob you and me of intimate fellowship with other Christians who love the Savior. If they love the Savior, you love them, brother. You love them. Well, they're so ornery, he just, he just clashes, his personality clashes with me. All the more reason you should love him. Maybe he's in that condition because no one no other Christian loves him. You know, I was very sad one day when a girl said to me, a young woman, she was a young woman in her late 20s, said, you know, I sometimes wonder, Mr. Mitchell, if any Christian even loves me. I just don't seem to make friends with any of them. And she's, she's, she's somewhat broken hard about it. There are a great many believers going through all kinds of problems, questions, discouragements, and you may not know the whole background. All you see is the outward, outward manifestation of a heart that's not too happy. 
you kind of pull off. That's when they need you. That's when they need you. Listen, Christian, can't you and I today in some way bring blessing to some heart, some discouraged soul, some sorrowing heart? I repeat it, it's because of this want of love for each other or each Christian is a positive proof that we're not real disciples of the Savior. And as I read these verses, I confess I'm convicted. When I read about his love for me, and because he loves me, I should love you, whatever your condition. And then he wants me to be obedient to his word. That brings fellowship. But it also brings into my life a joy that is beyond the comprehension of men. A deep-seated, well-settled joy. And I just feel today I'm talking to some Christians who need this. I hadn't planned this today. I wanted to get on through into the book of John, but for some reason I'm, I'm being held up here. I really believe that most of us Christians are not bearing much fruit for the Lord. We're bearing a little wee bit of fruit, maybe, and he's going to cleanse us by his word to bear more fruit. But how is the Father glorified? By us bearing much fruit. And he goes right into the thing. He doesn't stop there. He begins to talk about his love for you and me. The love of the Father for the Son is the same love the Son has for you. We've had this in past passages in John 13 and 14. It's full of it. You know, I remember what Mr. Spurgeon said one time. If God didn't love me before I was born, he certainly would never have loved me afterwards. But he does. He does. In spite of our frailty and weakness and failures, he still loves us. Now, he says, manifest some of that same love to your brother. He may be an ornery one. He may be failing God too. He may be not living as he ought to live. It's easy to be a judge, easy to sit on the jury, but to manifest love, genuine love and compassion and tenderness one for another. This is one of the greatest needs among God's people. I don't know what church you go to. That's neither here nor there. But when you meet with God's people, God grant there'll be manifestation of love not a hypocritical spirit, but a love one for another. I say this sadly because I meet so many people in so many different churches in ministering the Word of God and the great lack. I find much criticism, but little of that tenderness, that compassion, that divine love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I say again, and he's the object of our love, and then we love each other, and then we're obedient to his word, then we have full joy. Full joy. Full joy. How did he manifest his love? Verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. See, not only is my love manifested by obedience, but if I claim to be his friend, be manifested by obedience. You're my friends if you do 
whatsoever I command you. Now that leads me into the next two or three verses. I'm just going to read them and point out one or two things and lead them for our next lesson. Listen to it. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. I want you to mark. Mark these, these verses, 15, 16, and 17. I call this my, my three C's. My three C's. Notice it. I have called you friends, verse 15. Verse 16. I have chosen you to bear fruit. In verse 17, I command you. I have called you friends. I have chosen you to bear fruit. I command you that you love one another. I see I call these my C3s. Now, look at verse 15 just for a wee moment. I'd like you to, to close with this wonderful, wonderful thought in verse 15. Henceforth, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Notice it. I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Call to be friends. Think of God saying, you are my friends. Here you have the great yearning. Can I put it this way? In verses 15, 16, and 17, I find the heart of the Lord Jesus just reaching out to these men. Now remember these men are fishermen, tax gatherers, so on. They've been with him for three and a half years. To them he was their, their teacher, their rabbi. Now he's changing the situation. I no longer call you servants, bond slaves. I call you friends, friends. You are my friends. Oh, friend, what a position. What a relationship. How rich this is for God to say to you, to me, you're my friends. You're my friends. You know, when you come to your Old Testament, allow me to say this. You have Abraham, my friend. That's found in Isaiah 41, verse 8. Abraham, my friend. Moses, my servant. Moses, my servant. David, my king. Abraham, my friend. Moses, my servant. David, my king. You say, but just a minute, Mr. Mitchell. I, I'm, more, I'm more than a friend to God. I'm his son. I'm his child. I'm his heir. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. I'm not questioning about your relationship. Relationship is one thing. Intimate fellowship is something else. All who put their trust in the Savior, all who put their trust in the Savior, 
children of God, heirs of God. God determined us to be his sons. And you could, that, was, that happened the moment you were saved. But friendship is dealing with something else. Friendship is dealing with confidence. Friendship is dealing with intimacy of fellowship. Fellowship is the opening of one heart up to another heart. Have you had that with God? Have you had that with the Lord? That's what I'm talking about. Now, I just pray that the Lord will make this very clear to you. I'll follow this through in our next lesson. But I'm going to read these three verses over and over and over again. Please do that. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.